this morning. We are glad that you're here. We are in Daniel chapter 8. And uh, church, I have a lot to cover this morning. <laughs> and, uh, and so you need to bear, bear with me. But uh, we are in a unique uh, passage of scripture, a unique book of the Bible, uh, Daniel. We're looking at prophecy. And uh, as we've been going through Daniel, uh, we've been looking at the stories, some incredible stories of what God did uh, through Daniel and the, the Hebrew boys and uh, visions that king ha- kings had and how those visions became a reality. Daniel's been an interpreter of dreams, but uh, now Daniel has had visions himself. And uh, we're going to, we are learning about what those visions mean. And so prophecy, why prophecy? Prophecy is an important part of the Bible. Uh, and the reason why prophecy is important that we learn prophecy, study prophecy, is number one, because it authenticates and affirms God and His Word. We can trust that what the Bible says is going to become a reality or has become a reality. As we're looking at chapter 8 this morning, this particular ch- chapter confounds uh, liberal Bible scholars or skeptics because of its, if, of its uh of its accuracy, of Daniel's vision, and the fact that looking back on Daniel's vision and history, how all those things were so accurate and became a reality. And the liberal scholar wants us to believe that Daniel could not possibly have written chapter 8. That chapter 8 occurred about around 100 or 200 uh, BC, and someone was looking back on that history and recording uh, a vision of, of Daniel. But that is not what took place. This is Daniel's vision, whom the Lord had given him. And so we're going to look at this very closely this morning. The second reason why prophecy is important is because it authenticates the messianic ministry and lordship of Christ. Uh, Jesus fulfilled every prophecy that was written about him in the Old Testament. Someone said that uh, 27% of the Bible is prophecy. And 80% of that prophecy has already become a reality. It has already been fulfilled and there's 20% left to go. But as we look at Jesus' life and what the Old Testament said about him before he came upon the earth, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And it gives us great encouragement and boldness in proclaiming him. And then the third reason why prophecy is important is because it affirms the promise of God for the future. What God has said, we can take to the bank church that it is going to happen because we have can look at the other 80% of prophecy and how God has already fulfilled that. So again, a very uh, important passage of scripture, a very challenging uh, passage of scripture, and I don't want to sound like a historian this morning, but uh, there's some things I need to cover 
as we go through chapter 8, um, but uh, my, the main emphasis of this, this message is getting to the main players in this text, who Alexander is, what, what God did through Alexander, uh, looking at uh, the, the little horn and how that reflects on our, and then also Daniel. What happened to Daniel? How did Daniel feel after he had, uh, God had shared this vision with him? And how that relates to today. So if you have your uh, Bibles, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And, uh, and then I want to explain verses 3 through 22. I'm not going to read all of those this morning, but I just really want to tell you what that vision is and the interpretation of that vision. But let's look at verses 1 and 2 first. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first Okay, so we're in the reign of Belshazzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, okay? Belshazzar has taken his place, and this is the third year of his reign. Babylon still rules. He's still in the Babylonian Empire at this point. Uh, We looked at chapter 7 last week. Jeff shared from chapter 7, and uh, Daniel had... That was Daniel's first dream, and that was in the first year of Belshazzar. Now, chapter 8, it is two years later, and Daniel has had another uh, vision. And so this vision, uh, we're going to look at in verses 3 through 12, and then there's the interpretation of that vision in verses 22 through 25. Now, in this vision in chapter 8, we, look, we see two animals. They're regular animals. There's a ram and there's a goat. Uh, they're unlike the animals that we see in chapter 7. Okay, chapter 7, they were a hybrid of a couple different animals. But these are regular looking animals. And we see in verses 3 and 4, the, the ram. And the ram represents the Median and Persian Empire. Now, let me go back for a second, because I've got a couple of maps I want to show you. The first map is um, what um, the land looked like, who ruled what, when Daniel had his vision. Okay, And so you'll see the Babylonian Empire here, and the Median Persian Empire right up here. And so when Daniel had his vision, this was 11 years before Babylon fell. The Babylonian Empire was overtaken by the Persian uh, Median uh, Empire. So let's go to the second map. And as um, Daniel is talking about his vision in verses 3 through uh, 3 and 4, uh, the ram represents the Median Persian Empire. And 11 years later, uh, this took place. The Persian Empire came in and took over the Babylonian Empire. And this was what was ruled by Cyrus in the beginning. And so this is a picture of the ram and what he will do. Uh, Daniel talks about two horns. Uh, one horn being larger than the other. And uh, that 
describes the Persian Median Empire. Persia was bigger than Media. And so um, that's the description of the horns and why one is larger than the other. This empire lasted about um, 200 years. Then Daniel goes on in verses 5 through 8, and he talks about um, a goat. Okay, And this goat starts off with one horn. Now, the goat represents the Greek empire. And so 200 years later, Daniel, um, in his vision, is telling us that the Greek empire that's represented by the goat is going to take, overcome Media Persia, and this is the land, this is the territory that they're going to, uh, th- that will be under uh, Greek, the Greek empire. And this empire is larger than the Persian empire. You see this line out here? This represents the Greek empire, how far it extended. And so it's much bigger than the Persian empire. And in this, with this empire, the Bible, David describes... One horn. So there were two horns with the ram, but in with the goat, there's only one horn that's stick, sticking out of the, the middle between his eyes. And this horn represents Alexander the Great, who came from Greece. And as Daniel describes this goat, this goat kind of ho- hovers over the surface. He has great speed in overtaking the Persian Empire. Alexander the Great was able to accomplish this in 10 years' time. When Alexander took over as the ruler of the Greek Empire, he was um, 21 years old. And he was able to do all of this conquering within a 10-year period. Now, it's, uh, it's interesting as, you, uh, as I studied this uh, this week that um, when Alexander the Great was coming down uh, the shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea as he was conquering Persia, he came to Jerusalem. Now, again... This is 200 plus years later after Daniel's vision in verses 1 and 2. The Jews are already back in Jerusalem, okay? And as Alexander is coming through Jerusalem, he was planning on conquering that city. But Josephus, a historian in the first century uh, during the life of Christ, tells the story that there was a priest in Jerusalem as Alexander was coming through the city. This priest was aware that this prophecy was being fulfilled before their very eyes. And he brought out Daniel, the the scroll of Daniel chapter 8 and read it to Alexander the Great. And instead of destroying the, the city, Alexander the Great um, chose to enhance the city, to um, um, provide for the city instead of destroying it as he was continuing to go down to Egypt and to conquer Egypt. Boy, talk about living out Bible prophecy 
and being obedient to declare truth about Bible prophecy. This priest fulfilled his responsibility, and it saved Jerusalem. So this is the the goat that we see in Daniel chapter 8. It started off with one horn, representing uh, Alexander the Great. But after 13 years, uh, Daniel talks about this horn being broken off. And 13 years into his rule, Alexander the Great, he dies. Uh, He dies of a combination of uh, malaria and alcoholism. And in his place, Daniel describes four horns growing up out of this goat. And this, these four horns uh, represent the four generals who took over major portions of this empire. And so this empire lasted about 300 years. Um, uh, it was under the Greek, the Greek, um, the Greek uh, uh, reign. Okay, so <clears throat> with these four horns, Daniel also talks about a little horn growing up. A little horn we see in um, verses verses 9 through 14. And we're going to read those in just a moment, okay? But this little horn overtakes one of the four horns. And uh, this little horn is about seven rulers past one of the four horns. So we're talking about 180 years um, later after the Greek Empire began to reign. And so um, I want to hone in on the little horn of Daniel 8 this morning. And we're going to start with, uh, we're going to start with verse 9. Daniel says this, Out of one of them came a little horn. This is 380 years after Daniel's prophecy, or Daniel's vision in in verse 1. 380 years later, grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. The glorious land symbolizes uh, Israel. Okay? Um, Again, Daniel never uh, lost sight of Israel. And this was always the apple of the Jews' eyes. And one day they were going to be going back there. And so this is where the little horn had his influence. It was great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Okay, it's rising up. This little horn is rising up in rebellion about, against the, uh, towards the God of the universe. Verse 11. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And, their, and the regular burnt offering, offerings Offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground. 
you need to underline that this morning. It will throw truth to ground. And it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Now we talked about a little horn last week. Last week's little horn is different from this week's little horn. Last week's little horn came out of the fourth empire. The fourth empire didn't have a name. It was a beast that couldn't be described. It was... uh, It was uh, just incredible. But it was out of that fourth empire that that little horn came about. And that little horn represents the Antichrist at the end of time. This little horn comes out of the third empire, the Greek empire. And and the question is asked, uh, how long will this take place? And uh, the person says, the the angel says, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. It's different from what we see in chapter 7, where uh, Daniel says in verse, um, oh boy, I don't have that written down, where he says, time, times, and half a time, talking about the tribulation in the three and a half year period. That's different from these 2,300 days, uh, morning and evening sacrifices. And so what the angel is saying here is that Satan's influence or this little horn, he doesn't go on forever. He has an expiration date. Uh, He has a particular uh, shelf life that it's only going to last for a brief period of time, and, uh, and that actually did take place. And so let me just uh, share with you who this little horn is according to history, okay? So as we look back on history, and as, as Daniel was explaining these different empires that were going to come and go, looking back on history, who is this little horn? And we know from history that it is Antiochus the fourth of Epiphanes. Antiochus for Epiphanes. He was a very wicked king, and he but he was not like the little horn of chapter seven. And so, when we come to chapter eight, as he's given us that vision of the little horn of chapter 7, it's like he's saying, okay, now that you have that vision of what's to happen at the end, let me share with you another little horn that's going to be happening a lot earlier than the end of time. And even though it's Antiochus that we know from history, uh, he was uh, on the scene from 170 to 163 B.C. uh, doing all these terrible things to the Jews. Um, lost my train of thought. 
But this is the end of it. He's not like chapter 7. This is, go- this is someone who's going to uh, do terrible things to the Jews, but he's going to be a shadow of the Antichrist in chapter 7 as well. Okay? But this was already a reality um, in, in a de- as we look back on history. He has already come and gone. And, uh, but he is a wicked ruler. He, again, he ruled particularly in Jerusalem between 170 and 163 B.C. As he would go through Jerusalem, he would want the people, he would parade through the city, and he would want the people to say, Epiphanies! Epiphanies! And what Epiphany means is illustrious one, or God manifest. He wanted to hear that from the people because he saw himself as their God, their Savior. But the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with it. Instead of saying epiphanies, you know what they said in, instead? Impimonies. And epiphanies means madman or idiot. And so as Antiochus was hearing these things, you can imagine it made him very angry. But Antiochus didn't want to have anything to do with truth. The Bible says in verse 12 that he threw truth to the ground. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. He didn't want the people to have anything to do with their God. And he instituted a lot of immoral laws. For one, he forbade circumcision uh, among the Jews. He outlawed the Sabbath observance and uh, made it illegal. A criminal offense. He made it a criminal offense to, for anyone to possess or read Jewish scriptures. He was so vile that uh, history says that Antiochus took uh, a, a mother, a Jewish mother, and made her watch uh, her seven sons be fried to death. And then after they were fried to death, they took out her eyes because he wanted her to, he wanted that memory to be the last memory that she would ever have of watching her sons fry to death. He was that cruel. History says that there were 80,000 Jews that were killed in one day. He set up an image in the temple in Jerusalem, God's holy temple. He set up a temple, a, a, a statue to the God Zeus. And guess what the image was of this Zeus God? An image of Antiochus. He wanted to be worshipped. And he made sure he would come through that temple once a month and he would sacrifice a swine on the altar. Now, if you know anything about Jewish people and pigs, they didn't want to have anything to do with pigs. It was an unclean animal. And yet, in their face, he took and slaughtered a swine and threw that blood all over the temple. It definitely became desolate. It was 
an abomination of desolation. People didn't want to have, the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the temple of God because of what Antiochus had done. Another thought about Antiochus, you know the city Antioch in the New Testament? Where we read of uh, Paul's missionary journeys and, and, and such? That city is named after uh, Antiochus here in, um, in the Old Testament. And so the question is asked in verse uh, 14, how long is this individual, how long is this, int- this little horn going to trample underfoot the truths of God's word? And the angel says, for 2,300 evenings and mornings. And you you can interpret that one of two ways. You can interpret that as uh, uh, 2,300 days, or you can take uh, a morning offering and an evening offering as as, as happening in one day and dividing that 2,300 in half and making it three years. Either way, it's either three years or six years, but it, it fits in what happened in history. And, and God said that this would take place. But again, for only a period of time. Satan has his limits, church. And we need to remember that. Because we can look at today and we can see, we can read the newspaper and watch the news and uh, we can get really discouraged by all the things that we're hearing. But I want you to know, Satan has a shelf life. He's not going to last forever and God, God's will is going to prevail. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Church, we need to know what the Word of God says so that we can be ready for every good work. And instead of allowing the news to get the best of us and live in fear and just want to go hide and become silent, we need to be prepared. We need to know what to expect and be ready to give an answer. And not be ashamed of the answer. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But as we look at Daniel's vision, what he saw, and what Gabriel explained, what the, 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 the ram, who the ram was, and who the goat was, and this little horn, we can look back on history, and we can see this is exactly who Daniel was describing. And it happened according to Daniel's timetable. We can trust the Word of God. And again, the skeptics look at chapter 8, and they look at what happened in history, and they've come to the conclusion, Daniel couldn't possibly 
have written um, this, this chapter. It had to have been someone later looking back on history. No. These, this, this vision happened um, 380 plus years before history took place. We can be encouraged by God's word, church. But I want to use the rest of this time this morning to learn some lessons from certain individuals in this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want us to look at Alexander. Alexander is a picture of a wasted life. He was able to accomplish some incredible... He conquered the world in his 20s, in early 30s. When he was 33 years old, he, had, he was in Babylon. Again, uh, Babylon represents the, the center of, of what man can do and, and man's pride and arrogancy. Uh, Alexander was set up in, in, in Babylon... And he had conquered the world. But he couldn't conquer his own personal passions. His own personal passions got the best of him. He died an alcoholic. You know, the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 16, 32, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. It was easy for Alexander, Alexander to, to conquer a city, but he couldn't conquer the demons of his own personal life. Church, there's a lesson to be learned there. It's only Jesus that can enable us to conquer the passions of our personal life. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago and he went to the cross and he died for our sin. He took our, our sin upon himself. He took the punishment in our place and gave us his righteousness. So I, I don't know what demons you struggle with today, but they're not bigger than Jesus. And if you'll trust Jesus with your life and acknowledge your sin and ask Him to forgive you and, and trust you to live that obedient life through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can help you to do that. And that is the only way that you're going to conquer the demons of your life. Alexander didn't know how to do that. And his demons got the best of him. And he is a picture of a life that was wasted. Be careful, church. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, What does it profit a man? These are Jesus' words. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's a picture of Alexander. He had conquered the world. But his alcoholism got the best of him. What are you playing with today? 
if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Sooner or later, you're going to get burned. Jesus wants to help you conquer those demons. So, so we see Alexander in this story, and then we see Antiochus. Antiochus is a foreshadow of the Antichrist. Church, I don't have to tell you, these are the final days. We have been in the final days since the life of Christ. Okay? So that, that hasn't changed. But the, the spirit of the Antichrist, the mystery of lawlessness, as Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, is alive and well in this day and age. I think it's more alive today than it has ever been. And I believe that we are certainly being set up for the Antichrist to come on the scene. We don't know when he's coming, but the Bible says he is coming. We see that clearly in chapter 7. We see it in 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation chapter 13. He is coming coming and we're being set up for him the day and age is ripe for us to be deceived and i go back to verse 12 of chapter 8 huge characteristic of this little horn is in verse 12 And it will throw truth to the ground. Church, we're living in a day and age where that very thing is taking place today. We are throwing truth out the window. No, we're throwing it on the ground and we are trampling over all of it. Our society doesn't want to have anything to do with the church And I want you to know that this trampling of the truth has overtaken the church as well. The church today is ashamed of the truth. The church today has grown silent about the truth. I really didn't look forward to preaching this message this morning. I've been contemplating this message all week because of what I've been reading in the news and what I've been reading on Twitter. I'm following this um, celebrity pastor on Twitter right now. He's in California. You probably don't know him. But this celebrity pastor prides himself on the fact that his church welcomes everyone. And they have all different makes of people. You know, whatever's in the culture, it's in the church. And they pride themselves, he prides himself on the fact that their church loves everyone. 
Well, he's been called out on the carpet on social media by the gay lesbian community this week. Because the gay lesbian community has gotten wind that, uh, well, gay and lesbians aren't allowed to be ordained in his church. They're not able to, to serve on church staff. They're not allowed to serve on the stage. And so the community, the gay community on social media has been calling out this um, celebrity pastor and he's felt attacked and they just want to know where do you stand on this issue who do you think we are if you're so accepting of us if we're so welcome then why are these things why aren't these things happening and the celebrity pastor has gone silent. His last tweet was on Thursday. He says, I'm tired. I'm out. And he hasn't said anything ever since. Church, if I'm asked that question, if anybody, any of us were to be asked that question, There ought not to be any hesitancy on this issue. We know what the Word of God says. But this pastor has created a brand. And he doesn't want to offend everybody, anybody. He wants to love everybody. And I guess, guess what? You can't grow a mega church by just being a pastor full of grace and no truth. And I understand grace. The Bible says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. To be all of one and not of the other is goes, goes sideways on both sides of the issue. Jesus was full of grace And he was full of truth. But I'm afraid today that truth has been trampled and we are afraid to speak truth. And so the church today has been painting itself into a corner, into a closet of silence. Because we're ashamed of the truth. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. That's in Romans chapter 1. Church, Part of the gospel is acknowledging what sin is, being truthful about sin. And if we're not truthful about sin, or we deny the truth, we trample over the truth, you know what the rest of chapter 1 says? That God is going to give 
man over to his depraved mind. If these are the things that you believe, this is what is going to rule your life. And I'm afraid today, not only has that happened in individuals' lives, but church, it's happening in society as a whole today. Because we are totally ignoring truth. And that's what false teachers do. We were in 1 Timothy just a few months ago. And Paul says, have nothing to do with false teachers. We've got to be about the truth. We've got to be about grace. We've got to love everybody. But we've got to speak the truth as well. I want you to know that your elder board is grappling with this, with this truth here today. Because it's come to our church. It's, it's, it's going on in our clothing closet ministry right now. And our volunteers are behind, beside themselves. They, they don't know what to do. And we had an elders meeting Monday night. And uh, we knew what to do, but... Um, but we want to be loving at the same time. But we can't be afraid of the consequences because one of the things I was I, I brought up is if that we're if we're true about this, we may be, be setting up our lawsuits. But we can't be afraid of a lawsuit from keeping us from doing what's right. And I appreciate uh, Fred Henderson's email that he sent to us um, following that meeting on Monday night. He, uh, he, he put down 1 Timothy chapter... Well, I'll get to that in a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is what it says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 about this little horn. We're going to get into the little horn again more in chapter 11. But this is what it says in verse 32. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Those who trample over the truth, they'll be flattered by this Antichrist. And, and they'll just kind of, you know, blindly follow his leadership. But those who know God and know the truth will stand firm and take action. Church, the people of God, the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ need to stand firm and take action. Here's another bit of news that happened this week. The state of California, our state assembly, is is looking at a bill right now that would basically silence the church from speaking out on homosexual issues. Why? Because homosexuals are committing suicide because of the church. And it stand against homosexuality. What I'm talking about right now, this message, this would be defined as hate speech. 
And there may be a day very soon where we're going to have to start a jail ministry in our church. Because your pastor is going to be in jail. And you'll need to come visit me and write me letters and I'll need to share with you about what God is doing in in that jail. But this is a reality today, church. And for the people of God who know the truth, we need to stand firm and take action according to verse 32. Rather than allowing truth to be trampled under. We live in a fallen world. And I understand where people who don't know God, don't believe God, that this fallenness has corrupted the core of their identity and they are totally and totally confused about who they think they are. But that doesn't negate the truth. Only Jesus can save them. And if they're just willing to acknowledge their sin and humble themselves under a holy God, you know what? God loves them. And God wants to change them. But it is only through the person of Jesus Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well in this day and age. And we need to see it and we need to stand against it. In love and in truth. And then the last person I want us to see this morning is Daniel. What do we learn from Daniel's life? Steadfast service in tough times. Look at verse 27. After Daniel had seen this vision in 550 B.C., and after it had been explained to him, verse 27 says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. I get that. I understand that. I often feel like Daniel did as I continue to read things and perceive things in 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 the news today. And I get social issue fatigue. I was telling Rick as we were leaving the elders meeting uh, Monday night, I get overwhelmed with these social issues. And unfortunately, a lot of times I let it get the best of me. And it got the best of Daniel for a period of time. But then the Bible says, Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. We may not understand everything that's going on today. We may be appalled 
by what we see in the news, the church, we need to get up and go about our king's business. And the king's business is being truthful about the gospel. Yes, God loves everybody. God doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. But sin is going to keep people from going to heaven. And we need to be honest, unashamed about what sin is. Sing that song, God heal our land. Breathe on your church. How can he breathe on our church? How can he heal our land if the Christians are ashamed of his truth? The world is trampling truth. And the church has gone silent because we don't want to offend anybody. You don't have to be offensive. The gospel is offensive all by itself. But it's also hopeful. They can be set free. Let's pray. God, we need strength. We need your truth and not be ashamed of it. It's only the truth that are going to make people well, that's going to set people free and bring health spiritually, physically, and psychologically. God, people are committing suicide, not because of the church's message, because, but because, God, they're rebelling against you. God, if they would just humble themselves and believe what the Word says. As we're in a spirit of prayer, I want to read the passage that Fred sent to the elders this week after that elders meeting. Verses 9 through 11 of 1 Timothy 1. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the ungodly and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. When we choose to believe God's law, the sound doctrine, it brings health. It brings healing. 
God's law was written primarily for those who rebel against it, who rebel against Him. They need to know the truth. And God, we as a church need to lead, live according to truth. My friend, if you're here this morning, if you're living in sin, if you're playing with fire, you're you're convinced that, well, God will forgive me. God's already forgiven me. I can do what I want to do. My friend, that was the life of Alexander. He had the bull by the horns when it came to the world. And his life was cut short. Turn from sin. Do what God wants you to do. Christian, don't be ashamed of what the truth says. And yet, there, yes, there may be consequences. As a church, as we draw the line, Yes, there may be consequences. But can't be silent. My friend, don't be silent. Yes, it's appalling. Yes, it's discouraging. But get up and be about your king's business. Father, we need you. We need you more now than we've ever needed you before, it seems like. You told us these things were going to happen. And God, they're happening before our very eyes. Help us as your children to be faithful to you. In grace and in truth. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name.